Good morning. It's a joy to be preaching to you this morning, church. This is, this is a joy for me. I rarely, I rarely get this opportunity to look at you and to speak what God wants to say. Um, and I believe that God wants to speak to you this morning. And so if you're a guest, we, we're actually we're preaching through the book of Nehemiah. And we're actually going to pick up today in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 18. So you can turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah 8, 1 through 18. Is everybody there? Does everybody have a Bible? We actually have some Bibles in the back. If you need one, you can raise your hand and we can get those to you. Okay. Great. Okay, verse 1, Nehemiah 8, 1 through 18. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him, beside him stood Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Machijah, Hashem, Hashbanada, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelaita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, the Levites helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. Verse 13. 
On the second day, the heads of fathers of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booze during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills, bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booze, as is written. Verse 16. So the people went out and brought them and made booze for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze, and they lived in booze. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Pray with me. Lord, this is, this is your word. Lord, and you say that your preached word builds your church. So, Father, Father, we come, we ask, build your church this morning through your word, Lord. Speak to us. May you be glorified this time, Lord. May we lift our eyes to you and see, see the great God that you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, with the walls now finished, as we saw in Nehemiah 6 last week, and the people all back in their towns, as chapter 7 tells us, church, shouldn't Nehemiah's book now be complete? Right? I mean, shouldn't the, the curtains be closing now and the credits rolling? The wall's finished. The exiles are all accounted for. Wouldn't it appear that God's purposes are finalized at this point. Why? Why are there six more chapters left? Well, so far throughout the book of Nehemiah, God has been rebuilding the broken walls of Jerusalem. The broken walls, church, that have stood broken for 150 years have been rebuilt. They've been rebuilt. And as we see in our text today, that even though the walls are up, there is still some more rebuilding that God wants to do. However, this time, it's no longer the walls of his city that he wants to, be, that he wants to rebuild, church, but rather, it's the lives of his people that God wants to rebuild. That's what the rest of this book is all about. It's about rebuilding God's people. You see, the brokenness of Jerusalem's walls only pointed to the deeper reality of the brokenness of the lives of God's people. Because of their sin, for nearly 150 years, they had been captives of Babylon, living in exile, scattered from their homes, stripped of their heritage, questioning who they are as a people, and many of them not even knowing their Jewish language anymore. The chaos, the chaos, friends, that sin gives rise to had torn their lives apart. And they were broken. They were broken. And church, I ask you this morning, as we've been reading about the broken walls in Nehemiah, have there been any areas of your life where God has revealed 
that are also broken. Are there, are there areas of your life, friends, that, that lie in ruin? Are there areas where you have become captive to the powers of sin? Are there areas that, that need to be rebuilt? Does, does your marriage need to be rebuilt? Maybe, maybe your children, do they need to be rebuilt? What about your passion for God? Your devotion to His Word? Your love for His people? Is it fading? Do your defense strategies against relational conflict need to be reestablished? Is there, is there fear ruling your life, as Al talked about last week, distracting you from what God has called you to do, and disheartening you and deceiving and discrediting you from seeking to obey God? Friends, are you broken? I know I am. I'm broken. I, I, I often find myself spending my days just living for myself. Just putting my desires above others, my needs above others, and, and I'm broken. And, and I read in Scripture like Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says He came to serve and not be served. And, and I ask myself, Lord, I want this. Will this happen? See, church, as I was preparing this message, I find myself asking. As I'm preparing, as I'm thinking through how God rebuilds his people, I'm asking, God, are you, are you going to rebuild me? Are you rebuilding me, God? And in our text, friends, we, we see good news. We see good news. Good news for his people and good news for me. And it is this. God is faithful to rebuild his broken people. Okay? God is faithful to rebuild his broken people. And here in our text this morning, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to see what God's people being rebuilt looks like. Okay? That's what we're going to see in our text this morning. That's what Nehemiah 1, 8, 1 through 18 is about. What does it look like for God's people to be rebuilt? So let's jump in. Look at verses 1 through 6 with me. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that God had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattitiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkijah, Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Church, here is the first picture that of what God's people being rebuilt looks like. Okay? God's people in this picture are hungering for God's word. They hunger for God's word. You know what it's like when you're hungry for something, right? 
I mean, it's, it's insatiable. I mean, you, you have to have it. You, can't, you just can't wait any longer to get it. And this is what's going on in God's people. They had a hunger for his word. They believe the words of Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The people who are here hungered for God's word. So verse 1 tells us that all of them gathered around the word to hear it. Okay? So this, let me just say, this, this was a lot of people gathering. Okay? Just to give you an idea, we're talking about 50,000 people, friends. Men, women, and children, all who could understand. All gathered as one person. Think about it. No other activity was happening within the city's walls. Imagine Miami Lakes just, just shutting down. All activity done. Nobody's out exercising. Nobody's out shopping. Nobody's out running errands. I mean, the grocery stores are closed. Walmart's closed. Main Street is empty. Neighborhoods are empty. Homes are empty. Signs on the front door. Are, they say at Dolphin Stadium because all the people are hungry to hear God's word. And that's the only place that's going to hold all of God's people. They want to hear it. So they're gathering together. They're hungry for it. And they're all there for one purpose. They wanted Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the God commanded his people. Okay, so Ezra brought it out before them. Look at verse 2. Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Okay, so who is Ezra? Well, Ezra 7, 6 says that he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The reason the, reason the people wanted Ezra is because they wanted to hear God's word read clearly. This is what hunger looks like especially since they did not know how to do it themselves. Remember, they, they've been in exile for 150 years, and they, they quit speaking the Hebrew language. They spoke Aramaic. And so they needed somebody who could read Hebrew to read them the book. And they did not want Ezra to read just a little bit of God's word. Right? It wasn't just a little of God's word. No, they wanted him to read all of it. That's why in verse 3, Ezra read from the early morning until midday. It took that long to read the law in its entirety. Why do the people want to hear it in its entirety? Because, you see, people who hunger for God's word, they can't get enough of it. They love every word of it. In fact, the text says that all of their ears were attentive to it. Think about it. Five to six hours of reading God's word. Everybody listening. Everybody leaning in closely because they want to hear what God is saying to them. They were hungry for it. They were feeling like the psalmist in Psalm 119, 103 felt about God's word when he said, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And again in verse 127, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, Above fine gold. They had a hunger for God's word, and they desperately wanted to hear it. We also see in our text that their desire to hear God's word meant that they prepared beforehand to hear it. Look with me at verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. This allowed the people to see and hear Ezra clearly. They made sure, they made sure, folks, that everything that was necessary for, their, for them to hear God's word clearly was in place. They prepared for it. They wanted to hear it. 
And not only did their hunger for God's word result in them wanting to hear God's word, but it also resulted in them wanting to honor God's word. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So here we see that because the people were hungry for God's word, they therefore had a deep admiration of it. If you love something, you, you admire it. If you really need something, you see your need for it, you, you want to honor that thing. You want to respect it. So when it was opened and read in verse 6, the people stood. They stood. And so when Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, whose word it is, the people responded in ways that honor God's word. That show reverence to God's word. They, they agreed with it in their hearts by saying, Amen, Amen. They expressed their need for it by lifting their arms in the air like children do when they're reaching for their parents. And they bowed their faces to the ground and worshipped in order to express their submission to it. They agreed with it. They realized they needed it. They submitted their lives to it. This is what it looks like, friends, to hunger, hunger for God's word. This church, here we see one picture. This is one picture of what God's people being rebuilt looks like. Okay? It looks like them hungering for God's word. I want to ask you, do you see yourself in this picture this morning? As we've, as we've looked at it, are, are you here? Are you hungering for God's word? Are you, are you consistently gathering to hear it with God's people? Do you, do you long to read it? Do you prepare your hearts to hear it? Do you honor it by recognizing that you need it and by submitting to it? This is part of the rebuilding process, friends. God's people hungering for God's word, okay? So what else? What else does God's people being rebuilt look like? Okay, let's look further down. Look with me at verses seven, at verses 8 through 12. And they read from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people. They said, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Here we see that God's people being rebuilt also looks like them coming to an understanding of God's word. Okay, this is the second picture. God's people are coming to an understanding of God's word. This is God rebuilding them. Okay? That's the main reason the people brought Ezra and the Levites there. It was not just for them to read from the law, but it was also to help the people understand the law, as verse 7 says. Because they, they were skilled Bible teachers. They were able, as verse 8 says, to make God's word make sense to God's people. 
This is what the people wanted. They wanted to come to an understanding of God's word. And they did. They did come to an understanding of God's word. God's word. And verse 9 through 12 tells us what that understanding looks like. Okay? What, is it, what does it look like to understand God's word? Look with me at Nehemiah verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. The first result, the first result we see of God's people having an understanding of God's word is that the people are convicted. They're convicted by God's word. And we see that they begin to grieve over their sin against God. This was the impact that understanding God's word was making on their hearts. They came to a vivid realization of how great God is, as we saw mentioned in verse 6. And they began to understand God's holiness, God's goodness, God's mercy. And they also began to understand how they failed to honor him as God how they failed to live according to his word. They were, they were confronted with, with truths about God that, them, that they themselves had never faced up to before. Okay? They never faced up to these truths before. Friends, they, it's, they saw the scoreboard, okay? And they realized, we lost. We lost. And they were in tears about it. They were weeping about it. They were grieving about it. They were convicted by God's word. Understanding God's word brings conviction. It convinces us that we are wrong in how we are sinfully thinking and acting. And we see, we see in our text that it not only brings conviction, but we also see understanding God's word brings joy. It brings joy. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet. This day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing. Why? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. Why did understanding God's word bring joy? We know why it brings conviction. We see the law. We see that we don't, we don't match up to the law. We fall short. So we're convicted. But why does it bring joy? Because even though the people had failed to worship God for who he is, they failed to live according to his word, rather than casting off and disowning his people, his people realized that God still showed them mercy. He mercifully sent Nehemiah and Ezra to restore their city and teach them his word so that they might know how to love and serve him for the future. While the grief looked back, the gladness looked ahead. Another way of understanding God's word brought joy was seen in Nehemiah reminding the people that this day is a holy day. It's a holy day. You know what day it was? It's the Feast of Trumpets. It's the Feast of Trumpets. It was the, it was the first day of the seventh month, as we saw in verse 2. This was a day for jubilee, friends. This was a day for celebration. It was the equivalent of New Year's Day for us. 
This day reminded God's people that they were to rejoice and feast in joyous generosity rather than mourn and weep. And let me remind you, church, that one day, one day, the trumpets will sound again. And Jesus Christ, the living word, is going to come back and bring his people to the great feast, the wedding banquet of the bride and the bridegroom of Christ and his church. It's going to be glorious, friends. Let me ask you something. Will the appearance of the word of God, Jesus, bring you joy on that day? Or will it cause you to mourn and weep because you have spent your entire life rejecting him? He is is coming back, friends. And for those of us that he is coming for, for those of us who he has saved, for those of us who have trusted in his sacrificial death on the cross for the atonement of our sins, this will be a day of great joy for God's people and for God. This is the joy of the Lord that is our strength, friends. Okay, so we see that understanding God's word brings people conviction and it brings people joy. They understood it. They got it. This day is holy. Okay, that means I'm supposed to rejoice. I'm not supposed to mourn. I'm not supposed to weep. Though God's law had convicted them of it. How is your understanding of God's word? Do you you experience conviction when you read it? I know my heart can often be hard for the conviction to break through. When that happens, I'm failing to truly understand God's word. It should convict us. What about being joyful? Do you rejoice when you understand God's word? Are you glad about what it tells you? Glad when it reassures you of God's love for you and of God's provision for you? Is the joy of the Lord your strength this morning? God's people are being rebuilt when they understand God's word. Okay? What else? What else does God's people being rebuilt look like? Let's read again in verses 13 through 18. What else does it look like? On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills, bring branches of olives, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booze as it is written. So the people went out and they brought them and they made booze for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booze and they lived in the booze for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly, according to the rule. Okay? So here, here we see God's people being rebuilt also looks like God's people responding to God's word. 
We've seen how it looks like God's people hungering for God's word. We've seen how it looks like people having an understanding of God's word. And here in 13 through 18, we see it looks like God's people responding, responding to God's word. The reality of the people having a hunger for God's word and understanding God's word was demonstrated by the people responding to God's word. So what did this look like? Look at verse 13. The heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Well, first we see that responding to God's word looks like studying God's word. See, in realizing that the people had failed to live according to God's word for so long, that they, they wanted to change this. They wanted to know what the Bible said and where it said it. So they could live in a way that pleases God. They wanted to begin obeying God. They wanted to begin doing what God's word says. They, they realized that for them to do that, they first need to study God's word. And we see in the next verses that their studying paid off. Look at verses 14 to 15. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. See, by studying God's word, the people, the people realized that they are to keep the Feast of Booze this month as a memorial of their trek out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. It was commanded by God as a reminder to his people that he made his people to dwell in booths when he brought them out of Egypt. They had not kept the feast since the days of Joshua, and they would not have realized it if they had not gathered together to study God's word. So, respond to. We need to study it. Responding to God's word not only looks like God's people studying his word, but it also looks like God's people obeying God's word as well. Look with me at verse 16 through 18. So the people went out and brought them and made booze for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the people all the assembly of those who'd returned from captivity made booze and lived in booze. For from the days of Jeshua to the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. The people, friends, kept the feast of booze. They obeyed God's word. They kept God's rule. Friends, are you responding to God's word this way? Are you, are you studying it? Maybe, maybe you want to study it and you don't know how. Or, or maybe you just don't know when you could study it. Well, that's, why, that's why we created the Grow Course. We want to give you tools to study God's word by actually studying God's word together. So come and learn how to study there. And are, are you obeying God's word? Are you, just, are you just a hearer of God's word? Or are you also a doer of God's word? God is calling us to respond to his word, friends. Are you? So here 
we see in our text three pictures. Three pictures of what it looks like for God's people to be rebuilt. We saw first that God's people hunger for God's word, meaning they desire to hear it and they deeply respect it. And then the next picture we see is of God's people having an understanding of God's word, which leads them to experiencing joy and conviction. And finally, we see a picture of God's people responding to God's word, meaning they study it and obey it. So to answer our question that we asked up front, what is God's what does God's people being rebuilt look like? To, to sum it all up nicely, it looks like this, friends. God's people living under God's word. It looks like God's people living under God's word. That, that's what's going on here in our text. That's the message here. Is this, and this is God's call on our lives this morning. It's that we would, we would be his people who live under his word. Word. We are, we are to live under the Word. We are to hunger for it, to understand it, and respond to it. So that's what we see, right? Boy, that's, that's a big task. Maybe this morning, like me, you find yourself, as the people in verse 9 did, you find yourself mourning and weeping in your heart, saying, man, I don't hunger for God's word. I don't, I don't really understand. I don't seek to understand God's word or seek to respond to God's word. And that's you. That's you. I believe God would want you to hear Nehemiah telling you this morning and telling me this morning, Do not weep. Do not weep. Because today is a holy day. Today is a day of rejoicing. Today, today, friends, is a day of celebration. Because though we fall short of living under God's word perfectly, though we transgress God's law, God has forgiven us through the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, today, we should rejoice. Every day, we should be rejoicing. Without the cross, there is no rejoicing. There's only condemnation. If Jesus was not executed, no celebration, friends. Only condemnation. But praise be to God, Christ has come. He has lived the perfect life. We cannot. He did die a sacrificial death. We could not. He canceled our debts against God one and for all. And friends, he, he is coming back. And he's making all things new. There will be no more sin, no more brokenness, no more tears, no more death. All will be rebuilt. All will be restored. So church, may we demonstrate to the world and to our families and to our friends that we believe this truth by showing them the beautiful picture of God's people living under God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you 
You have called us to be your people. You have called us to live under your word. And Lord, thank you that we do not do this. We do not do this out of guilt. We do this out of joy because Jesus Christ has died for our sins. He has saved us from the penalty of our sins. And he's now giving us strength. He's giving us joy to live a life pleasing to you, God. And every time we fail, as, as Jose mentioned this morning, Lord, we, we are reminded that you are making all things new. You are rebuilding our lives, God. Thank you for that. Thank you, God. What you complete is completely done, Lord. So, Lord, give us grace. Give us grace as a church to live under your word, Father. To hunger for it. Lord, ignite that in us. Lord, give us a desire to to, to understand it and to respond to it. We want to honor you, God, because you saved us. You've made us. And we're yours. Amen.